Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown. Where the plum purple haze, the one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers, inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and a culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music, the tall tales, true stories, and current goings on. Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter and swim buck naked in summer. Welcome to episode 48 of the Brown County Hour. This is Carrie Ray. And Dave Seastrom, along with the rest of the crew. This month, in honor of St. Patrick's Day, we're offering music from Brown County band Celtica from their 2013 CD, Labyrinth Walk, plus a sneak peek at a tune from their upcoming CD. In addition, we have a song from our good friend from Ireland, Eunan McIntyre, who will be performing later this month in Brown County. We have poems from Carol Marks and Chris Curtin, an interview with Peaceful Valley representative Jim Schultz, and an interview with Susan Showalter. Rick Fedick describes an exciting new product, and Dave Seastrom shares his love of the forest. We also have a latest for a song from our own Carrie Ray. Our show begins with an interview with Susan Showalter. We have a poem from Carol Marks, not writing poetry for a year, Carrie Ray brings us her latest for a song, and we close with a tune from Celtica. This is Vera Grubbs for the Brown County Hour. I'm here with Susan Showalter. Again, it is part of the Backroads Studio Tour. Do I have that right, Susan? Backroads of Brown County Studio Tour. How many years have you been on this tour? Well, I was on it first in 2005, so this is my third year. It's a very consuming time for you, isn't it? Yeah, it is. 31 days straight with no days off. Oh, no. (laughs) We're an old lady. (laughs) I'm the oldest on the tour, and I'm the only single person. Well, you've had a remarkable life so far and looking for the rest of it to be just as exciting, I'm sure. I hope so. (laughs) And tell me your beginnings. Well, I was born in Columbus, Indiana. My parents were both professionals there. My dad was a lawyer. My mother was a school teacher and had a really wonderful life. Have you always been interested in art? I think I came out of the womb as an artist. I remember being an artist when I was little, creating Christmas tree ornaments out of paper and winning little contests in Sunday school and things drawing and things like that. And I started sewing when I was six years old. That's what I remember. You were working in leather when we met. That's right. That was in the early 70s. But by the time I was nine, I was making my own clothes. And I think the 4-H had played a lot into that. And then how did you switch? I actually got my degree in apparel design, and I worked as a bridal gown and formal designer in San Francisco. Then I worked in Canada with a gal I met in design school. We paired up and had a partnership, and we did men's accessories. And then I went to Europe on a job. I went to England, Scotland, Italy, and Switzerland, 
and I worked as a photographer's assistant, and we were photographing the top Canadian designers' clothing. And while I was in Europe, I got really ill. I got dysentery. And I came home to Indiana to recuperate and decided I would like to open a shop in Nashville and sell my garments there because I'd always gone there when I was a child. And you know how Hoosiers love Nashville. (laughs) And I had that store for about four and a half years. It was called the Stony Lonesome Bazaar. So what happened after the leather? I got married to an artist, Jack Brubaker. And we started in the early 70s, were some of the founding members of the Brown County Craft Guild. And then I also became a quilt maker and made quilts. Well, I've seen that whatever you turn your attention to is something that you're good at. (laughs) I don't know about that. Well, now you're doing photography and jewelry making. But I think it's just the being creative and liking to do different things and as far as the photography goes I don't think it's right to call myself a photographer I think what I am is an artist using a camera I think I have an artist's eye and I don't know technical things about photography and I could care less about the technical things I just learn as much as I have to learn to get by with I was also a journalist and started that when I was in high school they hired me to write stories about what was happening in the high school and to take pictures which they paid me for all that and they also sent me to a high school journalism institute at Indiana University between my junior and senior year in many ways Brown County has been changing How do you feel about those changes? I think some of the changes are good and some of them are not so good. I really have enjoyed living here and getting to know the people that grew up here. They're some of my favorite people here. And there seems to just be some quality about them that is pretty special. I have always felt being close to nature is very positive, but I just feel I can't even really verbalize it very well, but I just really like a lot of the people that grew up here and especially ones that were here for generations. Personally, I think it has to do with living in nature and I don't know, I just really like it here so much and I feel very, very fortunate that I've been able to live here. I've been here 44 years now. I know. I'm 68 years old and that's a big chunk of my life. I guess I can say this about Brown County. It's a pretty laid-back place. And I think that it really makes it very enjoyable to live here. I hope to have a museum, start a small museum, because we have uh, museums here for the painters, but we really don't have a craft museum. And I think crafts is a big part of the history of this county, and certainly the present. The contemporary craftspeople, there are plenty of them here, have acquired some of Hohenberger's pictures of the early craftspeople and musicians and artists. And I've been trying to document the current contemporary craftspeople here. And I've also been collecting pieces by the various craftspeople over the years that I could put in it. So I always tell people one of two best-kept secrets in Brown County is that we have just as many 
wonderful musicians as we have artists. And then the other one is a lot of people don't know about the T.C. Steele State Historic Site, and it is a wonderful place. Uh, I think like most artists, there's never a shortage of ideas <laughs> of things that you might like to do. What does the word bored mean? It's been I a, don't know. a very long time since I've felt bored. <laughs> And I think that's true for most creative people. Susan, thank you so much. You're welcome, Vera. It's always nice to talk to you. This has been Vera Grubbs for the Brown County Hour. This is Carol Marks, and this poem is called On Not Writing Poems for a Year. I don't know why the self-amused spirit that sends poetry through me has been asleep or has been camping out on Browning Mountain or has gone to France for half a year or more, leaving me here, leaving me to my own devices, some of which, as devices go, are not working all that well. And it's going to take more than WD-40 and duct tape to fix them. My muse, if I have one, which at the moment I doubt, might be leaning up against a tall glass doorway at the Art Institute of Chicago, filing her nails and cracking her chewing gum. She is on the lamb, maybe because I accused her once of being petty and affected and trite. She's collecting unemployment, but waiting for me to call. She'd much rather work than stand around. I should call her. We could write poetry, the cathartic kind that helps you process loss and grief and anger and despair. I could use the help. It takes a lot of energy to set it up, sort out some metaphors that aren't too mixed, compare the morning to something shiny that no one has mentioned yet, turn over some rocks to see what is there, hoping it's inspiration, like a long-lost ruby or a golden key and not something pale and slimy with eyes too big for its face. Welcome to Forest Song. I'm Carrie Ray. Have you ever loved something but realized you had to let it go? I'm not talking here about testing the old faithful, if you love something, set it free, if it comes back, it's yours, if it doesn't, it never was. No, we're not going to wax poetic like that in this installment. I'm talking more about letting go of things you love, but realize maybe don't serve you. I've arrived at that crossroads many times in this life. In my 20s, I was engaged, but realized that in that relationship, I didn't grow, but shrank. So for the sake of the woman I wanted to become, I had to set it free. In my younger days, I smoked. I know. I can't say I ever really loved smoking itself, but rather the ritual of it, the glamour. Maybe I watched too many old movies growing up. I like to smoke European and exotic cigarettes in fancy layered packaging. Enjoyed the sight, smell, and sound of my vintage Zippo lighter. I still carry one, by the way. Even tried a cigarette holder for a while. It was a phase, I suppose. But I knew that for the sake of my health and my voice, I had to let it go. And so I did. Sometimes these decisions are easy. Sometimes they break your heart. Before moving to Brown County, I was living what most folks would call the American dream. Great job, great home, good neighborhood in suburbia, good friends. 
But the compromises I had to make about who I am and how I spend my time to live in that existence didn't support my creative passions and my determination to live a life centered around music. So I had to let it go. These decisions are sometimes over life-altering things and sometimes over a Krispy Kreme. These decisions often come for me in the process of songwriting. Many times it's over a single line or a couple of phrases. One I may really dig standing alone. Maybe it's a really clever turn or particularly poignant, but doesn't quite fit the melody, song part, or song as a whole. Sometimes I can work it in somewhere else, maybe in a later verse or perhaps in a bridge. But many times I must sacrifice it altogether. In fact, I have a little graveyard file for these snippets, hoping to call upon them at a later date for a later song. But many are destined to remain silent forever. Currently, I'm facing this songwriting dilemma in a bigger way than ever before. I've been working on a song that I'm really excited about. The structure's a little off the beaten path. A series of verses with no chorus. In its place is a line that repeats at the end of each verse. When I timed it after the first draft, it was really short. Too short. So I decided I should write another verse. But not just to fill space, it had to also support and further the story. So I set about the task and wrote a verse that fits into the song perfectly and brings the song to a more respectable length. In fact, standing alone, it's arguably the strongest of the lot. So where's the problem, right? Well, one of my core principles is that my songs are easy for the listener to personalize. And this verse adds a layer of detail to the story that makes it more specific and challenges that principle a little. I've been sitting with it for a few weeks now, playing it with and without the extra verse. I'm still not sure where I'll land on this one, but I am sure about this. Art imitates life. And there are times when attachment to a single thing is bound to spoil the whole thing. So choose wisely, friends, and in the end, if they don't serve you or your art, be willing to kill your darlings. I'm Carrie Ray, wishing you Godspeed and hoping you'll join me next time on For a Song. If you have ideas, questions, or topics you would like to have covered on For a Song, please send them along. You can reach me via the contact page of my website, carryray.com. That's C-A-R-I-R-A-Y dot com. Thanks for listening.
For WFHB in the Brown County Hour is brought to you by Plum Creek Antiques, located at the intersection of 135 and 45 in downtown Bean Blossom, where visitors can buy, sell, or trade most anything. More information is available by calling 812-988-6268. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on volunteer-powered community radio WFHB at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 in Ellettsville, and online at WFHB.org. We begin with a description from Jim Schultz about the Peaceful Valley Heritage Association. Chris Curtin shares his poem titled 3 a.m. Phone Call. And we'll hear the tune Rathlin' Sky by Eunan McIntyre. It's my pleasure to introduce Jim Schultz, who was here this evening to discuss the Peaceful Valley Heritage Organization that he's a member of. Hi, Jim. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, Dave. Speaking about Peaceful Valley Heritage, a community not-for-profit, recently formed, less than a year old. The process of thinking about forming it might be a little over a year old. Our purpose was to try and fill a niche that we found where there was a lot of historic properties and buildings in the area and nobody was really looking after them. And some of them were in uh, various states of repair. A group of individuals got together and and, uh, did the work necessary to create a not-for-profit, and here we are. So these are historically significant buildings in one way or another? Of course, history is an odd duck. It's a lot of things, a lot of different things to different people. There has been people with the Brown County Historical Society that's been preserving various artifacts and and county history and all this other stuff, but buildings are actually part of our history. And to this point in time, there really hasn't been any organization around here that has been looking after structures. And the initial conception of Peaceful Valley Heritage was to engage in preservation of structures. An individual by the name of Dr. Jim Glass, and he was engaged to perform a study. The outcome of that was, I forget how many pages it was, I think it's over 100, but it's entitled Heritage in Brown County. That particular document is on uh, the Community Foundation's website at browncountygives.org, and it's a really interesting take on various buildings 
divided into the townships and Nashville itself. And he had access to the last inventory, if you will, of historic buildings that was taken. I'm pretty sure the date was 1992. So part of the study, he told us which ones were now gone because nobody cared. They're officially been burned or fell down or whatever. Now, we're talking about everything from old settlers' cabins to more recent structures? Mm, Yeah, there's not a whole lot of more recent structures. I think the newest one that we have on our radar right now is maybe 1905. But some of these buildings are dating to the 1860s, the 1840s. There, There are a lot of the original communities that were Brown County because Brown County wasn't Nashville and Brown County wasn't Helmsburg. Right. Uh, the first part that was settled was pretty much the Spernica area. So there's been a lot of focus up there because the fairgrounds used to be up there. Just all types of our early history is in that area. Let me just get through one other thing right now because the, the founders of this organization took time to put together, and that is, quoting, to promote, educate, and encourage interest in Brown County's historical, cultural, and natural assets in its historic buildings and structures, natural areas, scenic routes, landscapes, and streetscapes that are a part of the rich history and heritage of Brown County known as Peaceful Valley and the art colony of the Midwest. So it's very inclusive. And with that being said, our first buildings project, Structural Renewal, was the old log jail and we worked in cooperation with the brown county historical society they brought monetary assets to the table we brought professional expertise and some monetary assets to the table the building why not perfect is at least standing up straight now it has a new foundation under it the drainage has improved the alley disappeared all good things for the Pioneer Village part of Brown County. The CCC properties at the state park, we thought that by partnering with them, we could bring an awareness to the fact that there's a whole bunch of those initial build-outs that happened in the 30s that are deteriorating for lack of uh, maintenance. So we ran that up through channels at the state actually got some traction. Interestingly enough, when it first came back, it had morphed from just the CCC properties being considered on some sort of historic register, but potentially the entire park. And so uh, there's a lot of people engaged in that now at higher levels, but we were the ones that kind of put it on the table it will literally take years to work out. Mm. How, how would that benefit the park, the entire park? Well, potentially, what happens with anything that is on a national register, even a state register, there's a certain amount of people, and the trends are such that this is documentable, that for vacations, people like to learn something. This has been happening for a very long time. This has interested the population as a whole, but as we speak right now, heritage tourism is the fastest growing segment of tourism. And so we feel like that's important to the economic part of Brown County, 
Yeah. I mean, we have to feed ourselves here. So we get some of the spinoff from it, but that wasn't really the reason that we did it. We did it from a preservation standpoint to try and bring awareness to the fact that without maintenance, these structures, be they staircases, be they rock walls, be they lookout towers, they're not going to be available for future generations. So where to from here with your organization, and, and how can we get a hold of you if well, people want to participate? Social media-wise, we have a Facebook page. And that is Peaceful Valley Heritage Facebook page? Yes, okay. it is. And we also have a website, which is Peaceful Valley Heritage, but it's a Weebly after thing, Weebly hosted. So uh, you can find that through a, a Google search. And then we are coming up on our annual meeting. The date is the 12th of April. We hope to have a membership drive. We're just trying to engage more people. Where and when on that meeting? Pretty sure it's going to be the library. Last year, we had the Jim Glass presentation as our kickoff meeting in the library. We had the largest single turnout ever. It was really quite good. So there is an interest. Uh, You know, I think that that's what that says. The funny thing about history is is that it adds context to life. It's hard to look forward and, and make any um, uh, decisions without looking back and saying, well, what was good and what was bad? I can't agree more. And, and so with that being said, I think that there's more and more people that are coming to that point of understanding that that pretty much has to be true. And so history becomes more and more important to individuals as we move through time. Well, Jim, thank you very much for this presentation and for this information about your group, Peaceful Valley Heritage. Again, as we get closer to April 12th, we can look on your Facebook page for the information. You can. That'd be great. And thank you. I I, uh, appreciate the opportunity to get this out into a broader audience. You're welcome. This is Chris Curtin with the story, The 3 a.m. Phone Call. Some of us are morning people. Some of us are not. Most morning people do not need an alarm clock. They just wake up. When morning people do use an alarm clock, when the alarm clock goes off, they get up immediately. Morning people don't reset the snooze alarm three or four times and wake up everyone in the house. When a morning person wakes up, He or she is wide awake and alert. When he gets up, he hits the ground running, quickly gets dressed and ready for the day, and is in a generally good mood, ready for work, laughter, and conversation. This is his favorite time of the day. He is prepared to meet head-on any problems or challenges that may come up, coolly and with a clear head. Forty percent of the people in my family are morning people. The remaining sixty percent who will remain nameless for fear of intimidation or reprisal, are clearly unfit to serve as President of the United States. If this 60-40 ratio holds true for all families, you can see where this is headed. This 60% of my family, I do not go anywhere near when they finally get out of bed after slamming the alarm clock into the wall following the fourth snooze alarm. You quickly learn that it is best not to speak with these fearsome people, just stay out of their way. The most innocent comment is answered, if it is answered at all, with snarling contempt. Let's assume, for academic reasons, that our president is not a morning person, although never having slept with the president, I'm not sure. 
He is awakened at 3 a.m. by the Secretary of Defense. Mr. President, sir, Mr. Kim Jong-il is on the other line, and he is very angry, sir. Mr. Il said that if you don't send him lifts for his shoes like you agreed at the recent peace talk so he can be six feet tall, he will be ready for war. The President, what? Huh? What's that sawed-off, good-for-nothing, two-bit excuse for a world leader want? You tell that little son bitch that I'm the decider. You got that? I'm the decider. In other words, there's one decider and I'm it. Where's that gall dang red button at? When I find that damn button, that Korea is toast. Which one is it, north or south? Secretary of Defense, yes sir, yes sir, you're the decider, sir, you're the decider. Please calm down, sir, please calm down. Please have your coffee before you decide whether to push the red button or not, sir. Remember that unfortunate incident last week and what you did to Mexico, sir, when you were accidentally awakened by the Hispanic cleaning lady. That was very ugly, sir. The other 40% of us who are morning people by late afternoon get increasingly inattentive and fuzzy-headed. By 8 o'clock in the evening, a morning person is semi-comatose, sitting in the recliner in front of the television, unable to keep his head up. When called by the Secretary of Defense, he would give a sleepy-eyed nod of the head and slurring his words answer, yeah, yeah, I hear you, sure. North Korea and Iran have launched an all-out aerial attack on several major cities. Sure, sure, I hear you. Just call me early tomorrow morning. Sure, sure, all-out attack, sure. As a result of my flawless research, it is obvious that we need two presidents if the United States is to survive and prosper. A morning person would run the country from 3 a.m. to 3 p.m., with a night person ready to take the reins and be prepared to answer the call the other 12 hours of the day. All potential candidates for president should be required to undergo a battery of tests to determine whether they are a morning person or not, administered by the usual independent panel of wingnuts. And the waves they washed 
the empty shores and they broke against their bow and those were the days of my father and those were the days full of joy and those are the days I remember when I was just a boy WFHB and the Brown County Hour is brought to you by Plum Creek Antiques, located at the intersection of 135 and 45 in downtown Bean Blossom, where visitors can buy, sell, or trade most anything. More information is available by calling 812-988-6268.
You are listening to the Brown County Hour on volunteer-powered community radio WFHB at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 in Ellettsville, and online at WFHB.org. This is roving Brown County Hour reporter Jeff Foster on the scene in the area herd of cows embedded in what can only be described as a severe Brown County snowstorm. While the cows and this awesome storm are newsworthy enough for most reporters, I'm actually here to look forward in time and tell you about the 1st of April. And no, this is not an April Fool's joke. I'm quite serious. The storm's chilling my phalanges. Hang on while I step inside the pine room for a hot toddy. Ah, that's better. Now, where was I? Oh, yeah. In conjunction with WFHB's Spring 2016 Fun Drive, Friday, April 1st, has been designated Brown County Day, and the highly trained WFHB team of Fun Drive specialists will travel over from Bloomington to converge upon the Pine Room Tavern right here at 51 East Chestnut Street in Nashville to bask in the love Brown Countyans share for our local community radio station. While here, they will offer up wagon loads of local entertainment and revelry, and of course, gratefully accept your generous donations, which help keep WFHB on the air. So mark your calendars, folks. Brown County Day is Friday, April the 1st at the Pine Room Tavern, right here in beautiful Brown County. This is roving BCH reporter Jeff Foster on the scene. Back to you, Pam. We begin our final segment with the Celtica tune, Roving Galway Boy. Dave Seastrom shares his love of the forest in his latest essay. Rick Fedick introduces an exciting new product, the Toy Outa. Toe. The Toe Outa. <laughs> Start over. I can't. I can't make my toe say it. Take two. <laughs> take three. The Toe Oida. Outta toe, outta toes. Okay, out. I can't get it for some reason. Take, I have a mental block. Take, take ten. <laughs> Rick Fedick introduces an exciting new product, the toy. Someone else do it. No, no start there. The toe. Toe, 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 toe. Rick Fedick introduces an exciting new product, the Toe Outa. And we'll close the show with a sneak peek at a traditional Irish tune, Dunmore Lasses, from the new Celtica CD currently in production, slated for release later this year.
You may have noticed that guests and staff writers alike on the Brown County Hour often write about the forest that surrounds us. There are good reasons for this. We love our forests. Those who are native and those who choose to move here all share the love of the land. No one lives in Brown County because of the great employment opportunities. We live here because nature has made a tremendous comeback from the dark days following the clear cut a century ago. Unless you're familiar with the story, it would be easy to believe that the Brown County everyone sees when they drive through has always been like this. Even the casual observer can enjoy the view of hillsides covered in deep forests for as far as the eye can see, and vistas that have become famous from photographs by National Geographic magazine and others. Over one million visitors come to our state park every year, and countless others crowd our roads in the fall to enjoy the kind of scenery that can be found nowhere else in Indiana. Our state forests are a gem to behold. Large, unbroken areas of wilderness covered with trees, many of which are more than a hundred years old. The diversity of plant and tree species are a delight to those who find themselves off the beaten track for a hike in pristine forest land. The great woods that surround us provides homes for many of the endangered and protected plants and animals who can only survive in dense forests. Our recovered environment is teeming with wildlife. The nights are filled with the sounds of owls in winter and peepers in early spring. White-tailed deer make their homes alongside of the wild turkeys, groundhogs, and rattlesnakes. American bald eagles share the sky with red-tailed hawks and the migrating sandhill cranes. The backcountry area off of Low Gap Road contains thousands of acres of continuous forest with some of the oldest trees in Indiana. People travel from all over the Midwest to hike and camp in this beautiful wilderness. Southern Indiana contains the last remnant of the once great forest that covered almost the entire state. The forest we now enjoy has survived two centuries of exploitation that turned the rest of the state into a plant desert we know as farmland. It's remarkable that these areas were spared. Progress is a hungry beast with an insatiable appetite. But thanks to rough terrain and a century of benign neglect, we have inherited this magnificent gift, if we can hang on to it. A visitor to Brown County a hundred years ago would have encountered a view that's quite different from today. Instead of vibrant forests teeming with life, the traveler would have seen vast areas of clear-cut, completely void of most animal and bird life. The hills were bleeding topsoil all the way to the Gulf of Mexico, and the county was covered in huge tree stumps that marked the passage of our virgin forest. The jobs went away with the trees, and the population left in a mass exodus in search of employment in the big cities. By all accounts, this was a tragedy, something unthinkable by today's standards. Having once come so close to oblivion, it's fair to assume that no right-thinking person would want to see this happen ever again. I think all of us want to believe that our beloved forest is being protected and well served by those charged with this obligation. I believe that even if you never set foot in one of our magnificent forests, in your heart you love knowing that somewhere out there nature is intact and protected from exploitation. I wish I could tell you this was true. In the late 70s and early 80s, two Indiana governors saw the wisdom of preserving large areas of state forests that were protected from logging. It was felt at the time that Hoosiers needed unspoiled nature to refresh their souls and find peace and beauty in the wilderness. 
I believe this is also true today. Unfortunately, management at the state level has reversed this status, and in less than 10 years, the entire state forest system will be logged over. This past fall, the big topic amongst the tourists was, why are there so many logging trucks on the roads? Many concerned people rightly ask, what's going on? Believe me, we're all asking this question. As we Hoosiers celebrate our bicentennial year, our state forests are facing the same destruction that devastated them a century ago. During our centennial, we celebrated 100 years of statehood by creating the state park system. This remarkable achievement paved the way for all of the state parks so many of us enjoy, including Brown County State Park. But they left their work half finished, and now our state forests need our help if they are to survive. You can read more about this topic by going to our webpage at browncountyhour.com slash woodwatch. This is Dave Seastrom. See you next time. And now a word from our sponsor. Uh, Toe-outa? That, that, that can't be right. It, it, and now a word from our sponsor, Toyota. No, Dave, you were correct the first time. Our sponsor is Toe-outa. And if our listeners contact our website, browncountyhour.com, or call BR549, and don't forget the eat one too, if they contact us within the hour, they can get two toe outas for the price of one. The toe outa was designed and developed by one of our local merchants, a fun guy, Neil Biter. The toe outa is like a baby bottle brush, but smaller. It's designed to fit between the toes. It's relaxing and stimulating at the same time as it gently cleans this so sensitive area. While wearing sandals, if your feet develop a bit of perspiration or get dampened by a puddle or perhaps some dew from the grass and then gets contaminated by some road grunge, the toe outa is the perfect tool to remedy the situation. And within moments, you're back to clean and refreshed toe cleavage. Toe jam is gone. When you pull off those nice, fuzzy, warm winter socks and, oh my, you're left with some of that sock lint between those little piggies, a couple of those piggies are suffocating. Voila, the toe outa to the rescue. Within seconds, those piggies feel fresh as a daisy. A little dry skin between the tootsies in the dry heat of winter? Guess what? The toe outa makes them baby soft and smooth. You'll wonder why it took so long for someone to think of the toe outa. And, by the way, for you sweaty construction workers, toe outa is very helpful for cheese from under. And it's also perfect for nasal fuzz. Contact us within the hour and you can get two for the price of one. You might want to share this sensual experience with a friend. That's browncountyhour.com or 812-BR-549.
McIntyre and guitarist Jeff Foster will be in concert at the Pine Room Tavern on Friday, March 11th, and at the Players Pub in Bloomington on Sunday, March 13th. We'd like to thank Celtica and Union McIntyre for the wonderful Irish music in our annual St. Patrick's Day episode. You can learn more at CelticaBand.com. That's C-E-L-T-I-C-A-B-A-N-D.com. And UnionMcIntyre.com, E-U-N-A-N-M-C-I-N-T-Y-R-E.com. Thanks for tuning in to episode 48 of the Brown County Hour recorded in our studio at the History Center here in downtown Nashville and brought to you the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. and the following Wednesday at 6 p.m. by a diverse bunch of Brown Countyans who value and welcome folks of all kinds. This show was produced by Jeff Foster, Pam Rader, Rick Fettig, Vera Grubbs, Carrie Ray, and Dave Seastrom. We would also like to thank Slats Klug for our theme music. listening to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home, Brown County. Oh